want you to imagine that I approach you out of the blue because I want to set you up on a blind date. Now, it's not because you have asked me to. I am just simply inserting myself into your private affairs unsolicited. But I approach you and I tell you, listen, I think I have the perfect person for you. Now, you need to know a few things about them. Um, First of all, they come from another culture. They're um, immigrants and sometimes their accent is so thick that you you can barely understand what they say. Sometimes not at all. But that's... That's no problem. Um, and, and, they, and they like to tell these stories about the motherland from their childhood. And the stories are sometimes weird. Oh, and speaking of their childhood, um, their childhood was a long time ago. They're, uh, how do I put this delicately, old. They're much, much, much older than you, So you won't understand some of their references and they won't get some of your um, cultural references. But at the very least, they're, well, I was going to say fun. I don't know that they're ever really fun, but um, in fact, sometimes they're kind of boring. But often they're very intense. They just, they're so intent on having very deep and important conversations. And some of those conversations are so inspiring and, and powerful and, and some of them are Uh, just confusing and oh and some are offensive Um, like you can't even believe some of the things that come out of their mouth don't even ask them their views on slavery you don't even want to go there Um, but I think the two of you would be great together what do you think can I can I set you up I'm I'm beginning with the metaphor uh, this morning because I kind of feel like that sort of proposal is exactly the task that I'm facing this morning when I invite you to consider that you may experience some ordinary revival in your life if you would create more space to spend time with the Bible, which in a lot of ways can be described by some of the very words that I just used weird and boring and confusing and sometimes offensive and but that's what the spirit of this series ordinary revival is all about that if we could that if we could open up our lives um in some what may be unnatural ways like prayer last week and reading the bible this week if we could learn to open our lives in some what are unnatural ways and make them more natural ways than Actually opening ourselves up in that way, we we make ourselves available to experience God, the power and the presence of God in supernatural ways. And I think that's true to the degree that we open ourselves up to engage with the Bible. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to spend some time this morning talking about what the Bible is and how it works And we're going to do that by exploring just a couple verses in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. So you can turn there if you have a Bible or a Bible app. Um, If if you don't, then you probably really need this talk. But but just a couple verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 to 15. And then after we talk about what the Bible is and, and how it works, we're going to talk about how it is that we could read it in a way that can open us up to experiencing the supernatural power and presence of God. 
in our lives. So what is the Bible and how does it work? We're going to start with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, where it says this. But as for you, Paul writes to his protege Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of in your faith. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What is this book? Paul describes it with those two underlined words, holy scriptures. Now that all sounds very sacred and religious. It really isn't. The word scriptures is actually just the Greek word for writings, for books, anything that gets written down on paper. And the truth be told that what we do need to acknowledge is that this, though it's bound within one leather cover, this is not a book, but a library of books, 66 different books written by dozens of different authors over the span of about a thousand years. And these books are diverse from each other in just about every possible way. They're diverse in kind. Some of them are filled with epic narratives and some are filled with short stories. Some are filled with poetry or letters or sermons and some are filled with laws like reading a policy manual or long genealogies like reading a printout from ancestry.ca which who cares unless it's your family and even then. Um, They're diverse in theme in what they're trying to say. They're diverse in perspective They're diverse in purpose, what the author's trying to accomplish. They are written by diverse personalities into diverse situations. These books are different from each other. And yet what makes them a single library, what joins them together, is the shared conviction among all of the authors of these books that through Jesus Christ, God is being revealed to us and is inviting us into loving friendship with God. That's what all of these books are about. That's what makes these scriptures, the the writings that matter, the, the writings that Paul calls holy. Again, the word holy makes it sound like this book is sacred, like it's Like it's this magical artifact that you have to treat with extreme care. It's not the case. I remember a couple years ago, I was moving with a couple of buddies into a second floor apartment. And there was no air conditioning up there. It was the middle of summer. It was blazing hot. And one of my friends said to the other, open a window, would you? And so uh, the window wouldn't stay open. And so my friend was looking around. And the only thing he could find to prop open the window was an old hardcover Bible that uh, the previous tenants had left behind. And he kind of looked very concerned at his girlfriend. This was not a person of faith. He looked very concerned at his girlfriend. He's like, I don't want to offend, you know, Mike and Dave by using the Bible to prop open the window. And Dave very rightly said, dude, prop open the window. It's just a book. It's, It's not a sacred artifact. That's not what Paul means. The word holy means to be set apart from all the others to be used for God's purposes. See, truth be told, when you read these books, you could read other books from the ancient world and you would discover that these books in a lot of ways are very much like all the other writings from the ancient world. They are letters and sermons and laws and poetry written by human beings about their relationship with the divine. 
And yet, what makes these 66 books unique from all the others is that these are the ones that God has set apart from all the other ones through the church to be the books through which God is revealed through Jesus Christ and through which God invites us into loving friendship with him. It's, it's kind of like this. When, when I was growing up, my mother in our home had set aside one room from all the others. We treated this room differently. She called it the living room. We called it the holy of holies. It was the holiest place in our home. Um, and, and in some regards, it was no different than any of the other rooms in the house. It had carpet and furniture and walls and windows and a ceiling. It was just like every other room. But it had been set apart by my mother to serve a special purpose. That's where she did all of her most formal entertaining. Which meant that if you went into that room and messed up the carpet, you were going to die for violating its holiness. <laughs> But you see what I mean? It's just, these are the ones that have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. The ones that have been gathered and shaped and preserved because uniquely through these books, God is being revealed through Jesus Christ and inviting us into friendship, loving friendship with God. That's what this is. And, and what do these books do? Well, we, we can go back to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, the verses that we looked at, and it says, The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. These books have been set aside by God to make us wise. People have used different metaphors to describe what the Bible is. They've, they've called it an owner's manual or a, 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 a map for life or... Um, an instruction book or a rule book, or they've called it an, a book of inspirational ideas. Or what, and, and I don't think any of those ways of describing the Bible are really the best. I think the best metaphor for understanding what this book is and how it works is actually in the Bible itself. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, it says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, and a light on my path. When you go hiking and you take a flashlight with you, that flashlight serves two purposes. Number one, that flashlight allows you to see what you couldn't otherwise see. It shines in the dark and it illuminates the space around you so that you can now see things that your natural eyes left to their own devices could not see. It gives you the ability to see in a brand new way. And because it gives you the ability to see, secondly, it empowers you to know how and where to walk in order to safely arrive at your destination. It keeps you on the path and it shows you how to get there. It teaches you how to see differently and it empowers you to know how to walk. And those are exactly the things that Paul says in 2 Timothy are true about the Bible. In, in verse 16 and 17, it says this, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in right living, so that the servant of God, you and me, all of us, 
may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says the the Bible, the scriptures, they do two things, these 66 books. They teach and rebuke. Those two words talk about how we think. They, They shape the way we see the world. The way we see life, the way we see each other, the way we see ourselves, the way we see God. They shape how we see and think about everything. They allow us to see the world in a brand new way. And then it says they correct and train in right living. They fix the ways that we live sinfully and unlovingly. And they teach us how to live unsinfully, which is to say lovingly. They teach us how to see the world rightly and they teach us how to walk, how to live appropriately. They make us wise in how we discern the world and in the choices that they make. And how do they do that? They do it by showing us Jesus. To go back to the the verse that we were reading, um, where it says the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the center of everything that happens in the Scriptures. For all of the diversity among these 66 books, when they are compiled together the way they are in this library, they form this sort of epic narrative that begins in, on the first page of the Bible where it says in the beginning and it ends on the last page of the Bible where it essentially says they all lived happily ever after. And it tells the story of God's relationship with his creation to reveal God's self to creation and invite creation into a loving relationship with God. And at the center and the peak and the climax and the focal point and the centerpiece of the story is Jesus. When we go to the scriptures, what we go to look and to see and to find and to understand, no matter what we're reading, we're looking to find Jesus. Jesus himself says this to a bunch of religious leaders and scholars. He says in John chapter 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I've talked to a number of people who have said, the reason I don't read the Bible is because I haven't been trained to read it like you have. I basically have a master's degree in reading the Bible. And people will say, I don't know the history, and I don't know the culture, ancient culture, and I don't know the ancient languages, and I'm afraid, essentially, I'm afraid that I'm going to get it wrong. I'm not going to understand it as well as You know, someone like me can with all of my education and so on. Here's the thing. Jesus is talking to people who are far more educated in reading the scriptures than me. The the story is that these religious scholars, you could drive a nail through the Bible and they would tell you every single letter on every single page that the nail passed through. And Jesus says, in all of your learning, you've completely missed the point. You've made the scriptures the focal point. You think that it's by studying them that you're going to become the person that God has created you to be. And he says, that's just not true. He says, what these scriptures do is point to Jesus. 
And it's in coming to Jesus in faith that we are transformed. In that, in that way, the scriptures are kind of like the wardrobe in the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've seen the movie, the wardrobe is the passageway that the children crawl through to leave their world behind and to enter into the world of Narnia. There's nothing special about the wardrobe. The wardrobe is not the point. The wardrobe is just how they get from here into the magical world of Narnia. And Jesus says that's exactly what the Bible is. There's no inherent value in studying the Bible. In fact, I know a lot of biblical scholars who don't even believe in Jesus. There's no spiritual value. The value is not in the Bible itself. The value is in the way that the Bible acts as a portal that allows us to go from our life such as it is and to be transported into the presence of Jesus so that we can see Jesus. That's what The Bible does. And in fact, it's more than just showing us Jesus. It is as we engage with the scriptures that we enter into the presence of Jesus. When you read these words, you're not simply reading the words of ancient human beings who were writing down um, their testimony about their experience with the divine. What you are encountering through the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're encountering the power and presence of God when you read the scriptures. When you read these words, you're not just reading words written 3,000 years ago. You are hearing the voice of God now in your life today. Um, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is God-breathed. What he means is that God has selected and shaped and preserved these particular books. And he breathes the life of his spirit into them. So that these books come alive with the life of God. They speak with the voice of God. So that when we read these books, we enter into the presence of God. And we hear God speaking in real time into our lives, which empowers us to be wise, to become the people that God has created us to be because we see with God's eyes, we think with God's mind, and we respond in the way that Jesus would respond because we've looked for Jesus on every page. How do you read the Bible that way? Well, there's four things that I would say. Two have to do with posture. You have to have the right posture. And the first is that we have to have a posture of prayer. We have to read the scriptures prayerfully. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this. The person without the Spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit of God. Paul says, if you want to understand the things that God says, only the Holy Spirit can help you understand them. That people who read the scriptures without the eyes 
of the Holy Spirit will misread, misunderstand, and misapply what these books say and teach. Now, I don't think what Paul means is that people who are Christians read the Bible well and accurately and people who aren't Christians can't. I know people who have read the Bible and found faith precisely for the first time because of the way they've read it. What he means is whenever you read these scriptures with your own eyes and with your own mind, you will inevitably misread, misunderstand, and misapply. What we need to do is read the scriptures with this prayer always on our lips and in our heart. That before and during and after we read, what we're praying is, Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus in what I'm reading. Help me encounter the presence and power of Jesus through the act of reading and help me live more like Jesus because of my reading. And when we read that way, the Holy Spirit will open our minds and we will get to see and understand what the Bible teaches. To, to people who say that they wish they had the kind of learning that I have gone to school to acquire, this is what I would say. 80% of the Bible can be understood just by reading it. That in fact... Um, all of the learning that I've done, really, the only thing it does is it takes, you know, a black and white image of what the scriptures say and it turns it into a color image. Or it takes a, a video in 480p and turns it into real D. You can see more clearly, yes, if you have some of the background information which you can acquire over a lifetime of reading and conversation and attending services and so on. You can see a little bit clearer, but, but you can see with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can understand most of what you encounter in the scriptures just by praying with that prayer. See, the problem is not that we don't understand what is the scripture. I think most of the time our problem is that we don't want to accept what is in the scriptures. Which leads me to the second point about posture. We need to read prayerfully, but we need to also read repentantly. Paul says the problem is that we don't accept what we understand when we read the Bible. We don't want to do what it says. So you can't just read and say, well, the Holy Spirit told me X and so that's what I'm going to do. No, no, no. You have to evaluate whether that's really what the scripture is saying and then embrace it. Um, and we, we don't accept often what the scriptures teach probably for two reasons. One is ignorance. That we've been so groomed by our culture in a certain way of looking at the world, in a certain way of living, that we think that ideas like forgiveness and generosity and justice and sexual purity, that those ideas are just nonsense. And they are to our culture, but not to the spirit. Or idolatry. We actually just enjoy our life the way that it is. We enjoy our success and our luxury and our lifestyle and our popularity. We like the way things are going and we don't want to change by following what the scriptures teach. And so the prayer that we pray is, Holy Spirit, help me to see Jesus in what I read. Help me to encounter Jesus in the act of reading. Help me live like Jesus as I walk away from the reading. But the prayer is also, Holy Spirit, would you... 
Kill in me the part that doesn't want to follow Jesus. And would you breathe new life into the part of my soul that has the power to live the way Jesus has invited me to live? We need to read prayerfully and we need to read repentantly. The other two things are that we need to read in relationship and for relationship. I think we need to spend more time reading the Bible with each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, Now to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What he means is that the Holy Spirit lives in every single person in the community. And when we interact with each other in all of our diversities, in all of our different experiences and stories, all of our different perspectives and opinions and readings and backgrounds and all of the learnings that we've had that are different than each other, as we engage with each other in all of our diversity, the Holy Spirit speaks through other people who see things differently than we do, and that helps expand our understanding. We have to be reading this with each other to be learning from each other and growing with each other towards being more like Jesus. Which means we have to be in a certain kind of relationship or a certain kind of person with each other. Right? Think back to the series we just had in the book of James. I use the adjective gentle to describe three characteristics. Someone who is a lover and not a fighter. Who isn't argumentative or divisive, but who instead wants to learn how to love other people better. Someone who is endlessly gracious and patient and forgiving with other people's opinions and perspectives and questions and so on. And thirdly, someone who is endlessly thoughtful and open-minded, who will genuinely listen to the other person and be continually asking themselves, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to learn from the, per- the truth that this person is speaking right now? If we want to read with each other in a way that helps us see Jesus, encounter the presence of Jesus, and live more like Jesus, we need to be the kinds of people who will are reading together, not to fight about who's right and who's wrong, but to grow in love who are endlessly gracious and patient and forgiving with each other and who are endlessly thoughtful and open-minded with each other. If we can read together like that, we will see and encounter and become like the Jesus who is the centerpiece of the scriptures. We've got to read in relationship and we have to read for relationship. See, the end goal of engaging with the scriptures is love. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That when the Holy Spirit is active in any activity, what comes out of it is love. And so when the Holy Spirit has gathered and shaped and preserved these documents... As the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus in these documents, as the Holy Spirit makes Jesus present to us as we read these documents, as the Holy Spirit teaches our minds, as the Holy Spirit shapes our heart, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the people around us, the end goal is not knowledge. I mean, you will learn more and you will get sharpened in what you believe and that's a good thing. 
But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal isn't knowledge. It's love. That's what the Spirit is working for all the time. That the end result of us seeing Jesus and encountering Jesus is to become like Jesus, which is to say to live a life of more deeply loving God and loving ourselves and loving each other and loving the world and loving even creation itself. There was a theologian named Augustine who lived 400 years after Jesus and Augustine compared reading the Bible to going on a hike. And he said, sometimes when hikers go on a hike, they actually leave the trail inadvertently and they wander off into the woods and maybe even get lost for a period of time. But he says, if at the end of the day you arrive at your destination, then it really wasn't a big deal. Then who cares? You did it. You got there. And that was the point. He says, reading the Bible is a lot like that. When we read the Bible, all of us at various times to various degrees are going to wander off the path of understanding exactly what it means to say. And sometimes we might even get a little lost. But Augustine says, remember that the goal is to read the scriptures in a way that deepens your love for God and deepens your love for everybody else. And if you read the Bible in a way that makes your love for God and people deeper, you did it. Way to go. Even if you went off the path and even if you didn't get everything perfect, you did what God was hoping you would do. And maybe next time there's a shorter, better path. Maybe next time there's fewer bumps and scrapes. But you did it. You did what God was hoping you would do. And that's the goal. That's where revival takes when we learn to read prayerfully and repentantly in relationship and for relationship with God and everyone else. A number of years ago, my brother told me that he had a simple philosophy of life at that point in his life. It was the three G's. He says, girls, goals, and God. If you have two of the three of those nailed down, you're doing Okay. He said, if you have one of those, you're kind of shaky. And I remember a season where Joel would have said he had none of those where he was really solid. I remember him telling me he went out for breakfast with his friend Ben, um, who's Jeff Lockyer's brother. I can't tell stories about me and Jeff because there's no good stories. So he tells stories about our brothers. And he said to Ben, I think I'm just about done with this faith thing. I'm just about ready to pack it in and walk away. And Ben said to him something that was really wise. He said, okay, do this for me first. He says, for the next 30 days, every morning, I want you to get up and I want you to read the Bible with a sincere heart and I want you to pray as authentically as you can. You do that 30 days in a row and then we'll get together for breakfast. And talk about it. And Joel agreed. 30 days later they got together for breakfast. And Ben said how did it go? And Joel said well I'll tell you. He said it's not that everything's different. My life isn't totally changed. And not all my problems have gone away. But I did begin to find God. As I opened my heart to Jesus in the scriptures. And as I began to talk to God authentically from my heart in prayer. And he said, I think I'm going to press on. And that's the point, friends. 
that if we could come to this weird, ancient, awkward, confusing, ambiguous, sometimes offensive and hard to understand book, with eyes shaped by the Holy Spirit, a heart open to see Jesus and encounter Jesus because we want to be more like Jesus with the Spirit's help, we will discover God in the process. So what do you say? Are you up for a date? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for giving us a way of knowing you. Of giving us access to who you are, to your presence. For showing us Jesus through the pages of the scriptures. Would you enable us and empower us, God, to make the unnatural act of reading these pages more natural so that we can discover the supernatural presence of Jesus in these pages and in and through our lives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.